A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. People don't value the lives of disabled people. They consider disabled people to be burdens because they might assume that they receive a disability pension, that they have incompetencies. Nobody actually considers the competencies and the potential and the meaningful lives they live and the people who love them and the people they love. Hello everyone and welcome to the Nasty Woman Club. I am your host, Demi Lynch. People with disabilities are devalued by society. That's a fact. And that needs to change because too many people are getting neglected, exploited and hurt. In the past three months, there have been several cases of people with disabilities being treated on such severe levels of cruelty. People like Anne-Marie Smith in Adelaide Her carer kept her in the same chair for over a year. For over a year, Anne-Marie was in her own feces, until she was left to die. People liked the two teenage boys in Brisbane. After police found their carer had passed away, they found the boys locked up in a room with only a mattress on the floor and the two boys in just diapers. And children like Willow Dunn, also in Brisbane, She was starved to death by her father and stepmother. She was only four years old. Australia, we should be ashamed of ourselves because so many people with disabilities are in pain right now. That's where the Disability Royal Commission comes in. Since April 2019, the Royal Commission has been investigating reports of violence, neglect, abuse and exploitation of people with disabilities. In just over a year, over 1,000 submissions have been made, one of which is Laura Lewis, one of my guests on today's episode. On today's show, we'll be discussing her experience reaching out to the Disability Royal Commission. We'll also be chatting with two incredible women that have helped Laura navigate her way through this difficult process. These women are Lee Elliott from the MICA Projects and Linda McKee from SUFY speaking up for you organization. But first we're going to look at Laura's recent diagnosis of autism and ADHD. She was only diagnosed this at 50. She told me in my interview with her about the struggles of not knowing and the fight she has put herself through to get the answers that she's been wanting to hear for 50 years. This is Laura Lewis, Lee Elliott and Linda McKee. So firstly, all three of you, thank you so much for coming on to the Nasty Woman Club podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. That's our pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. So I firstly want to kick off with asking Laura a few questions in regards to her diagnosis, which was a recent diagnosis of autism and ADHD. How did this diagnosis come about? Was this something that you've been curious about for years? Was it something that someone else said? How did this happen? Well, my whole life I've had, you know, this feeling of not being sure that I fit in with everyone else, second-guessing myself in social situations, like a role-play 
every day before I, I don't anymore, but I used to role play like going to school, I'd role play how I talk to teachers or school, um, school friends or whatever, go to a party. I'd have like a list of things to just talk about because I just don't get small talk. <laughs> I just like to delve right into deep stuff. Um, and then when um, my son was diagnosed with autism, it didn't even then hit, hit me that this could possibly be me. Um, and that's because it's, it can be very different in females. So as Clay grew older, I started recognising things and also I was becoming very, very, um, becoming friends with autistic adults and, be, you know, involved with the, that community. And it then hit me like a sledgehammer. Oh, I think I'm autistic, which was a really welcoming revelation. And I, I mean, I, I had to fight with my psychiatrist to get him to diagnose me. Um, because of his disbelief that I could be, you know, a person that parents and I mean, it's crazy that a psychiatrist can even think that, but um, anyway, I, I just asked him to go away and read about the um, white presents of females. And um, he then did give me the diagnosis last year. And in January, again, I had to fight and ask for testing on ADHD and confirmation was same day and then sat um, successfully medicated and it's just made a huge impact and been amazing in my life. I think that my um, long-term diagnosis of depression is directly related to my lifetime of masking and trying to fit in. So I'm trying to unmask and hopefully maybe I'll see an easing of that depression. I can't even imagine how confusing it must be in, re in respects as you don't know what personality traits or um, behaviours that you act upon, if they're related to your ADHD or your autism, or if they're related to you trying to cover them up. Because I noticed yeah. my, my partner, he got diagnosed with autism a year ago and he's... Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's been navigating, trying to figure out what behaviours is natural. And you have a sibling too, don't you? Yes. yes. You have a sibling, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my brother's on the spectrum and so is my partner as well. So have you noticed that as well, that you're trying to like pick out your behaviours and personalities and attitudes and see? Oh, so I've screen? revisited every awkward moment in my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just gone way back and picked it apart. But also there are times when I choose not to tell people and it's not out of shame. It's because people, I've already experienced reactions from people going like almost grief for me, like, oh no. And I say, you do realise I have an autistic child that we um, are very accepting of and, you know, he's, he's really cool. And Or they'll say, oh, you don't seem to be autistic. Or, you know, like you, just those responses. And this I don't normal. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. That, that's <laughs> not what ticking I'm that box. Yeah, no, I know. Um, that, that's not me saying that. That's, that's what you, yeah, I should that, just say. That's what you get. And um, <laughs> so, so if I think... I'm talking to the kind of person who may say those kind of responses. I just choose to not share because it really, really impacts my mental health as well. Cause I do have a diagnosed mental illness with PTSD and anxiety and um, you know, 
that's with autism and ADHD, it's all really murky and yeah, I just choose if I know they'll be safe and accepting, I'll tell them. And what's been the reaction with Clay then, with him finding out that you are also on the spectrum the same as he is? Clay can be so nonplussed about certain things, you know. He can just be really unreactive, like has no reaction and he knows. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe he just knew I was all the time and just hadn't told me. I don't know. So then what has it been like since the diagnosis? Has... How's your mental health been with it all? Like, what has this been like since then? It's been up and down. I recognise my burnout more quickly and um, am kinder with myself about it and give myself permission to rest. But it's been a roller coaster too. Like, I actually thought I'd be celebrating and yay, party time. Well, not party time, but um, so not people, but... <laughs> In some ways, it's like, it's hard to explain. It, it's not really grief, but it's, yeah, it's just a feeling you can't explain. I mean, I wish I'd had the diagnosis much earlier, of course. So for the second part of this interview, I really wanted to talk with Lee and Linda, who have become both monumental parts of the <laughs> life. So if you can both please introduce yourselves to the podcast listeners and how it is that you've come into Laura's life. So my name's Linda. I'm a social worker. I work for an advocacy organisation called Speaking Up For You, SUFI, it's known as. And I'm employed by SUFI through the Disability Royal Commission funding to support people to um, learn about and if they choose to make a submission to the Royal Commission about abuse, neglect, violence or exploitation of people with disability. So through Sufi, I picked up a referral. Goodness me, it's so long ago now, I can hardly remember. It's been since the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah so much has happened. Um, that Laura was interested in making a submission to the Disability Royal Commission. So I contacted Laura um, and we had a preliminary chat and I let Laura know that through the DRC, Disability Royal Commission process, it's acknowledged that um, making a submission can and will raise issues for people um, because a lot of the, um, the events that are being reported on will be very um, disturbing and um, talking, re-digging up stuff and talking about things that are really difficult to talk about. So I then um, advised Laura that there was counselling involved for people, uh, uh, counselling available for people who were making a submission to the Disability Royal Commission. And it was way back when I made the first contact with Lee about Laura. That was the first time I'd, I'd contacted this phone number about I had no idea. So then I contacted Lee and said, there's a, a lady that I'm supporting who would like to be linked in with you. And... Um, I think that's a good segue then to Lee. Thank you, Linda. I remember that phone call because we had were just being told that we were securing the funding. 
And uh, I think I, I might have told you, Nelly, before you knew. <laughs> you did, you did. And then I said, I'm going to go for that role. I'm being a parent that has a son with high and complex needs. I was really excited myself to be part of that transformative change. So, and to support other mothers. And I've had the privilege of meeting some wonderful people like Laura. And um, yeah, it's um, it's it's really like if I could wish for any job. I'm really loving this role and seeing, you know, seeing the changes that actually, you know, letting people be heard and, and validating their experiences, you know, that are going on for, especially around, I mean, a lot of them have had abuse and there's layers of that, but even just simple things like, you know, neglect and non-exclusion and, you know, write down, it's a big part of um, people's lives and people with a disability are discriminated in so many different ways. So for me, it's been a privilege to meet, you know, so I call these strong women survivors. Um, it doesn't mean they have it easy, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely a privilege. And I've really enjoyed working with Laura because she has a healing modality that I just love and that's to work around art. And I've seen like, I've seen Laura produce some amazing pieces of creative work that have just been astounding. So I've been loving it. Yes. So Laura, tell us about um, the art news that you told me recently. Um, so when did we get the email from Philly? A couple of weeks ago? I think that might be over a month ago now. Yeah. So um, she's a, a solicitor, isn't she, with yeah. the Disability Royal Commission? And a while before that, we, she had told us that people were submitting art pieces as well. And I had an art piece that um, I had already done as I processed all my emotions and everything that I thought would be perfect as a public submission. And Philly said that it will most likely be, um, if I agreed, which I have, of course, it will most likely be um, exhibited at the National Gallery in Canberra after the Disability Royal Commission finishes and then um, perhaps curated into their collection. I actually gifted the piece to Micah Projects, so that's their decision to make whether or not to allow it to be in the archives. And can I also just say one other thing about the validation and being heard that Lee talked about? I actually find from Linda and Lee that has been the absolute best part of the whole process. I have very low expectations for any outcomes after the Disability Royal Commission. I don't think there'll be very much change personally. Um, maybe I'm just aiming low to not get excited. So just the opportunity to talk to two people who understand um, the pain that my family member has experienced and me also by supporting that person, that's been a very healing process too. So what needs to change then so less people with disabilities are harmed or go through something stressful or just, just what are some ways then that can, what are some ways that need to be changed then? Okay, so people don't value the lives of disabled people. They consider disabled people to be burdens because they might assume that they receive a disability pension, that they have incompetencies. Nobody actually considers the competencies and the potential and 
the meaningful lives they live and the people who love them and the people they love. That's from politicians and, you know, hierarchy of massive organisations right down. Um, you, you know, you, you're hearing talk about diversity and inclusion in workplaces and schools. It's not happening because it's not happening in um, boards, it's not happening in politics and it's not happening in schools still. And Lee, what are your thoughts on that then? How do you, how, from your perspective, from where you work at, how, how do things need to change? Well, Demi, I've got two perspectives. I've got the parent role like Laura has, but then I also have, like, I'm a change manager and I'm also a counsellor. So, I mean, I know how change works. You've got to work from the bottom up and you've got to work from the top down. But it, it needs the voice of the people for the awareness to be lifted. We've got to get a lot of people inputting. And for me, the, this opportunity, this commission is a chance for everybody to feed up. Now, there's a lot of fear around that because a lot of people have been abused by the actual organisations that are requesting the story. So there's a lot of, um, you know, hold back around that. I think in all areas, in, 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 and I look at the life of my son, so from birth where the doctor said you only had a 50% chance of life and then I could decide and then they said, oh, we missed a couple of uh, things, uh, but if you decide, uh, no, we'll make him a ward of the state. So there was like this amazing toing and froing, even like in the, in, the, in the authorities where you put a lot of trust. So it's a very complex um it's very complex all areas of disability so it moves from health it moves to schooling like laura said so a lot of children and we're even finding out now that they're not even holding up the laws now of enrolling children with a disability they'll push them out of catchment area because they take up too many resources or they don't i don't know they don't want to be bothered even though it's the law so they're not going with the policy. So if policy isn't being enacted, it's sometimes quite an interesting push by the people that are really wanting the change to make that happen. So, and just yeah. on that note, principals get to decide, make those decisions because the Queensland Education Queensland um, launched an inclusive education policy in May 2018 um, and that is not actually being rolled out in every single no. Education Queensland school. Wow. And we've, we've got some other participants that have hit right up to the minister and through and they're not getting any response. So, yeah, there's, there needs to be transformative change in that area for sure. And, and even in, you know, health and education, in employment, we see so many people with disability uh, not even being considered. Like, it's... Uh, Oh, it's, it's really, I mean, Laura, you can sort of talk to that, can't you, with, um, with some of the experiences I you've had I have to self-advocate um, having missions in, in a, sorry, a psychiatric hospital. I can't say the name. I have to self-advocate over certain things because um, they medicalise um, mental illness and um, it, it shouldn't look like a hospital for a start, but, you know, you've got to start with small things. And so, you know, my medication's called dangerous drugs as if I'm some kind of drug abuser. And I said, I've said to them, it's not a, a dangerous drug because it is um, prescribed to help my brain function, at which, which it does. It's medication. You need to call it medication. So please stop calling that name with me. But they never do. 
No, I, I mean, I think a lot of people think that people with a disability have got something wrong with them and we've got to fix it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> somehow yeah. we just got to make it like us so it's the same and that it's right. But it's a really bizarre perspective when you think of the diversity of all the people around and there's a very fine line between somebody that is, so as to speak, non-disabled to somebody that acquires a disability or is disabled. So it's a very fine line. It can happen at any time. And I think it's a bit of a fear that people have about disability, like right at that very basic core. Yeah. yeah and it drives people apart and separate. And mm. It very much has become that people that are abled just want to feel comfortable. And, and for some reason, they think that people that are disabled need to not show it and just to make able people feel more comfortable. It's this ridiculous sentiment. Yep. I would agree with that. <laughs> There's quite often, um, you see memes about um, autistic, particularly like um, autistic people, they um, self-identify as neuro, neurodiverse or neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. And they'll um, make jokes. Of, uh, we, we make jokes about oh, the poor neurotypicals have to change their behaviour to work around us. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so then, Linda, then, what are your thoughts then on how things need to change so so things can be just a little bit more easier for people with disabilities, just even just a little bit more easier? I think very much uh, in keeping with what Lee and Laura have said, I think it's society has to change there is no easy fix Mm. this is so entrenched in society's thinking like you were saying it's fear it's fear of the unknown it's fear of something that's different and that people don't understand and i think until society is confident enough people are confident enough in themselves and their own ability in themselves that they can accept something that's not what they expect there is going to be no change. I really like the concept of the social model of disability. And I'm just reading here because I just wanted to make sure that I had it right if I'm going to go (laughs) saying (laughs) all these things about my wonderful thing. But just reading from here, you know, I think at the moment as a society, we embrace the medical model of disability where disability is seen as a health condition which should be dealt with by medical professionals. Uh, People with disability are thought of as different to what is normal or abnormal and disability is seen to be the problem of the individual. From the medical model, a person with disability is in need of being fixed or cured. From this point of view, disability is a tragedy and people with disability are to be pitied. The medical model of disability is all about what a person cannot do and cannot be. Whereas the social model sees disability as a result of the interaction between people living with impairments and an environment filled with physical, attitudinal, communication and social barriers. It therefore carries the implication that the physical, attitudinal, communication and social environment must change to enable people living with impairments to participate in society on an equal basis with others. Mm-hmm. We need to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we? How do we with intergenerational um, discrimination? Of Bias. Biases. Bias. Mm-hmm. And look, I also think, though, Lee, to be fair, I think people are scared. People don't know how to react. They don't want to do the wrong thing. They don't want to embarrass themselves. They don't want to embarrass some 
someone else. They don't want to embarrass the person who they see as having a disability. And my thoughts, as I've said to Laura, um, I just think if we can take, um, start with the little children. You know, you look at little children in a playground, they're going to go up and play with anybody. It's not until little children are socialised into the belief of the social construction of the medical model of disability that they change. So if we have a truly inclusive school system where little children are playing and learning with little children, that's where I think the change has to start in the classroom, in the schools. As Laura has said, though, it need, unfortunately, that's all socialised as well and all has a social construct. It can't be about money. It can't be about this child costs more than that child. It's got and the to be... principal can't make the decision about that money either because once that money, the funding for the child goes to the school budget, the principal can actually spend the money any way they choose. It won't get spent on that child. So the principal has far too much um, power over mm. certain things that, and that needs to change. And, and, you know, like the medical model is, is an awful model and every single uh, uh, sorry, disability advocate um, will rage about the medical model. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's, yeah. they're my thoughts. Uh, it's got to start with the children, but unfortunately the environment in which children are is dictated by a social construct. Um, and can I just say, I mean, I think most people are genuinely well-intentioned and it is also, as Linda and Lee both said, a fear of difference. But I read um, Lee Sale's book on Any Ordinary Day, which isn't about mm. disability, but it is, uh, it is about grief and facing the worst thing you could face um, in, in your life. And she interviewed Walter Mikak, who um, lost her, his two children and wife at the um, Port Arthur shooting um, oh, years yeah. ago. And... Um, he, he was telling a story about this, this um, friend of his, a very close friend, who just every time they saw each other in this, where they lived, he would just turn around and walk, walk the other way. And, you know, Walt was like, oh, I don't know what I've done wrong. And, and when he finally actually um, managed to speak with him, his friend just said, I don't, I don't know what to say. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. And the thing is, you probably will say the wrong thing. But it's not actually going to be any worse than what Walter Mikak has gone through with losing his whole family. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that, that's an, an, an analogy to use. But, you know, if people can just take that on board and just think we are all very approachable and um, while we, we don't want to hear um, questions about our private lives, um, most people who are different will be very happy to have conversations, respectful conversations about that. If anyone else who is in Brisbane based and are wanting to do a submission and they do want support, definitely contact Linda from Speaking Up For You and Lee from Micah Projects because I couldn't imagine choosing to better support people. Thank you.
Well, thank you so much, ladies, for coming on to the Nasty Woman Club. I very much appreciate it. And I think this is definitely going to help people just get a bit of an understanding of what's going on with the Disability Royal Commission and just what's it like living with disability in this world. Thank you, Demi. Thank, thank, thank you, you, Laura. Thanks, Demi. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club. For more information on the Disability Royal Commission, the MICA projects, and SUFY, head to the links in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe and leave a five-star review. Every review helps into helping more people discover this podcast. For more stories on intersectional feminism, make sure you follow the Nasty Woman Club on Instagram and Facebook, and check out our website, thenastywomanclub.com. I'm your host, Demi Lynch, and I'll see you all next week for another episode of The Nasty Woman Club.